Amen. Okay, thank you so much, Rich. Uh, Nikki, well done. Great job. Um, I'm so pleased that you're here with us. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and my privilege to be speaking from the Bible tonight. You've actually joined us a really good time. It's Easter Sunday, next Sunday. That has come really quick. And in the build-up to Easter, uh, which I guess for a Christian is the high point of the Christian calendar. So we celebrate Good Friday, which is the day that Jesus dies on the cross, and Easter Sunday, the day he rises from the grave. And as Christians, we believe that Easter changes everything, and so that's why we celebrate it every year. And I want to tell you a story from the Bible tonight which shows how Easter removes our shame. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 19 in the New Testament. This is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. It's going to be on the screen, but if you do have a Bible, why don't you just get that out now so you can follow along with the story. But this is Luke 19 verses 1 to 9. And this is Luke telling a story uh, from Jesus' life. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there, his name Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. So Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cosy with this crook? And Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned and he stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor and if, I've, if I'm caught cheating, I'll pay four times the damages. And Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the son of man came to find and restore the lost. Let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we believe that the Bible is, it's not just myths or fables or fairy tales, but it's something that's been handed down through generations that is the main way that you want to communicate with us. Um, Thank you so much that we have the life of Jesus before us now, just one little incident, and we believe that you can use these words, this story, to really change the way we think and act. And so we just want to welcome you, God, here amongst us to use your word to impact our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, right at the start of the Bible, the first book of the Bible is called Genesis. It's beginnings. That's what the word Genesis means. And in Genesis 3, you have something called the fall of mankind. It's called the fall because mankind or humankind were created in this perfect relationship with God. Uh, There was a beautiful, intimate relationship with him. But sadly, they chose to rebel against him. And the result is that they fell from grace. They fell from this intimate relationship and experienced three deeply novel and negative experiences that would forever live with humankind. And those three, three things were guilt, shame and fear and maybe us knocking at the door as well I don't know if someone could let someone in so guilt shame 
and fear. And if you looked at Genesis 3, uh, verses 12 and 13, Adam and Eve... Adam and Eve play the blame game, so they highlight their guilt. In chapter 3, verse 7, they cover their naked, which uh, is because they are newly ashamed. And in verse 10, they hide from God. They fear the one who's only been good to them. And what the consequences of what happens all that time ago in Genesis is that today, all of us know each of those three states, guilt, shame and fear are now part of our lives. But what's fascinating across the world, uh, different people groups experience those things in different ways. So in the East, sin is primarily experienced through shame. So I don't know if you've ever watched the news and there's like a report from Japan and someone has been shamed. They've, they've tried to keep face. Uh, but in, in the East, sin is primarily experienced through shame. In much of Africa and other cultures where animism and witchcraft are prevalent, fear holds sway. And historically here in the West, we have experienced mostly guilt. So in England, we're a nation of laws. We love laws. And when you violate laws, you are found to be guilty. However, what experts are saying is increasingly in the West, there is a shift from guilt to guilt and shame. So not just guilt, but guilt and shame. And there's a big difference between those two, th two things. So if I drive over the speed limit, then I'm guilty of speeding. But if uh, shame is the feeling uh, if people found out that I had points on my license. So guilt is about breaking the law. Shame is more focused on ourselves. So guilt is to do with what we do, whereas shame is about who we think we are. And I know I'm diving in the deep end here, and this is all very deep for a Sunday afternoon, and you've all missed an hour of sleep tonight. I realise that. But the reason we're sort of plunging into the deep end is that we believe that God can impact our lives. We believe that Easter changes everything. And that means from time to time we've got to touch some of the deep needs in our hearts. And tonight I just want to touch on these issues of shame. Because shame tells you to cover up and hide. It requires actually huge amounts of energy to sort of um, make sure that it never leaks out and people get to find out about um, the, the stuff that causes your shame. One writer, a guy called Ed Welsh, I've got his quote up here, describes shame as this. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you or something associated with you. You feel exposed, you feel humiliated. And I want you to note those three, thing, three things, something you did, something done to you or something associated with you. So Jamie Carragher has been in the news in the last couple of weeks for spitting into someone's car. That is uh, his actions shaming him, something he did. Um, just last week, I was told, uh, I didn't quite know what to do with this, but a friend told me that when he was a student uh, here in Leeds, part of the initiation ceremony into his team was that he had to run naked through the original Oak pub during Freshers' Week. So there's a deep sense of shame because of something done to him. And thirdly, I, I guess I, I've got a, a good friend who has a stammer and so when he tries to speak it's like his whole body seizes up as he stammers and for him his body shames him 
It's something associated to him. So shame comes either through something we do, something done to us, or something we're associated with. Shame is sometimes what we feel when we are truly honest with ourselves. So our culture generally values success and doing well in life, and there's this sort of aspiration to a certain sort of life. Yet for most of us, no, um, we're actually masking most of our failures. We're pretending. Uh, we're masking our disappointments. And that means many of us live with this sense of disappointment or this sense of one day being found out that we're faking. I don't know if that's just me at times, but generally I feel like I do life pretending that everything's okay and under control. And so shame is felt by all of us in society. And so the question is, how do the events of Easter deal with these deep feelings of shame in our lives? Well, our story provides some wonderful answers to that question. So let's just remind ourselves what's happening in the story. When you go back 2,000 years, Jesus is, uh, is entering and walking through a city called Jericho. And verse 2 tells us that there was a man there whose name was Zacchaeus. He was the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd were in his way. He was a short man, so he couldn't see over the crowd. And so he ran on ahead, climbed up a tree, so he could see when Jesus came by. I don't know when you last saw a grown man climb a tree. I don't know, I can't remember when I last saw a grown man, but I, I can't remember when I last saw a wealthy grown man climb a tree but here we have Zacchaeus he's climbed really high to see Jesus because he was really short and he couldn't at the back of the crowd see over the crowd he also wasn't that welcome to stand with the people you see this guy is a wealthy traitor working for the Romans he used to collect taxes for the Romans and skim off the sort of the top half for himself and so when he entered into crowds they all knew that he had their money and so he wasn't popular. He was a bit like a sort of a nasty debt collector or someone like that. And he would have been an outcast. He would have been hated and despised and, dare I say it, ashamed. Now, what's fascinating in the story is that Jesus always had really strong words to say to people that oppress the poor. That He didn't like it when people were against the underprivileged. And so my guess is as Jesus approached and Zacchaeus is up the tree, the crowd are waiting for him to say something bad towards Zacchaeus. But to everyone's surprise, he calls his name. And we actually find two beautiful things that Jesus does to deal with Zacchaeus' shame. First up, I want you to notice acceptance. Jesus offers acceptance. Verse 5, when Jesus got to the tree, he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, Hurry down, today is my day to be a guest in your home. So at this point, the crowd were expecting Jesus to speak against Zacchaeus. Jesus instead invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And so the hostility turns from Zacchaeus to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in a pub and there's been a fight or something's broken out, there's been trouble and you've stepped in to separate people. Sometimes in that moment, 
they can turn on you. You're the one trying to bring peace, but suddenly the attention comes to you, the aggression comes your way. And that's exactly what happens here. The intense aggression is transferred from Zacchaeus to Jesus when he offers to eat with him, which culturally is a very strong form of acceptance. If I come and eat with you, then you are my friend. And so Zacchaeus is suddenly on the receiving end of this costly demonstration of unexpected love. And I hope you can see what's going on here. Jesus is accepting a shamed Zacchaeus at great cost to himself. And that is a powerful antidote to shame. Listen, I've spoken to hundreds of people over the years that feel shame because of something they've done, something done to them. And most people that feel ashamed want to cover up. They want to hide. They don't don't want company. They don't want people to know what's going on. They tend to be quite isolated. Whereas here, Jesus doesn't shun Zacchaeus, but rather he pulls him in close. What he needed most was Jesus's acceptance. I heard a a pastor talk recently of a woman who who is in his church who had um, just recently been married, but very, very sadly had been abused as a little girl. And as a result of all that pain and that horrible stuff that had happened to her uh, through her teenage years and into adulthood, she'd just been very promiscuous, just really sort of worked out her pain in multiple, multiple relationships. And then she met the man of her dreams and they got engaged and eventually got married. But she never, ever told him about his, her past and Probably more importantly, the fact that she was cheating on him all the way up to the, till they were married. So even when they were engaged, she was sleeping with other men. And because of her shame, all of it was hidden. None of it wanted to get out. Till eventually she plucked up the courage and sat down with her husband and explained what had been done to her and what she had done. And her husband upped and left. And all day she wondered what, you know, what was going to happen and she was feeling this huge amounts of regret. Why did I say anything and have I lost my husband until that evening the husband came back and the husband had actually been shopping. And in the bag that he was carrying was a white nightgown. And he asked his wife to take off her clothes and put on this beautiful white nightgown. And he said to her, whatever has been done to you, And whatever you have done, this gown represents how Jesus sees you. Pure white, your shame removed, complete acceptance. And if Jesus feels this towards you, then this is how I will see you. That's a powerful, powerful picture of what is happening here. When Jesus dies on the cross at Easter, not only does he offer forgiveness to people, but rather um, he, he, he embraces people that on face value are so far from him and brings them into the closest place. The, the Christian word for it is adoption. People are adopted into God's family because he loves and accepts us. Um, the writer of Hebrews um, is scandalous in the way he describes how close um, humankind gets to God. Hebrews 2 verse 11 says, both the one who makes men holy, so this is Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
He's not ashamed to have us numbered as his family, even with all our sin, all our shame, all that stuff that as I speak about shame comes back to you. He welcomes you in because of what he does on the cross. But beautifully, it's not just acceptance, but secondly, there's honour. I want you to notice the crowd's reaction to what's happening here in the story. Verse everyone, uh, verse seven. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cosy with this crook? So the scene has moved from the tree in the street back to Zacchaeus's house, and the crowd are all murmuring because, in their eyes, Zacchaeus's house is dirty. It's defiled. It is dirty spiritually speaking. It needs cleansing. Um, I've got a dog and sometimes, to my shame, the dog gets fleas and sometimes when the dog is on my lap, I picture those fleas jumping from her onto me. Just by bitten, you're all looking pretty grossed, right, uh, grossed out by that, but I just, that, you know, and I'm grossed out by it as well, I'm not encouraging it. Um, and uh, it's just by being near her, I feel like I, I get the fleas. And the same is happening here in the story. In their minds, entering this house, which is spiritually unclean, eating and perhaps sleeping in the guest bed, you, you catch it. You become spiritually unclean as well. And so here we have Jesus entering willingly into this dirty house and being shamed so that Zacchaeus can be honoured. Why is that crucial? Why is it important that we know that? Well, because what Jesus does for Zacchaeus is just an example of what Jesus does for all of us at Easter 2,000 years ago. Remember, Zacchaeus is the lowest of the low in society. That's the reason he's in the tree. He's despised, he's shamed, he's rejected. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, out of my endless grace, I want to eat with you. Get down from the tree. And so you've got to ask, how does that sort of thing happen? Well, the reason it can happen is because Jesus eventually will go up into a tree. The tree was symbolic of a cross. A a cross is often made out of trees. And Galatians 3 verse 13 tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The cross stood for the worst kind of death you could have because only the cursed... Only those that were hated and despised were, were, were put up onto the cross. That's probably the loudest cry I've ever heard from a baby. That's quite impressive. So when we think of the cross, when we think of Jesus being flogged and whipped and then carrying the crossbeam and then having his wrists and his ankles nailed to a cross and him hanging for hours, we think in the West of the pain the agony, what he must have went through. But you've got to understand in a Middle Eastern setting, which is shame, honour, crucifixion was all about humiliation. Uh, It wasn't about the physical pain. It was rather about pushing this person to the lowest place. The Gospel writers tell us that before his death, Jesus was actually dressed in a purple robe and a crown of thorns was placed on his head. Now we read that and we think, wow, those thorns, they must have hurt as they were pressed deep into his skin. But no, it's not about that. Middle Eastern people would say, That's, it's all about shame and humiliation. This is dressing up God like a king with his creation laughing at his lowly position. Or think about the fact that he was spat upon. I don't know if any of you spit on people, but anyone who does, 
you would look down on someone that you'd spit on. And Jesus is spat on. They, his beard gets pulled out. For an Eastern man, the shame of hair being pulled from your face speaks of being totally depowered, totally out of control. And then what they do is they taunt and insult him. They cry out things like, prophesy to us, who hit you? Hail, King of the Jews. He saved others, but can he save himself? If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. You know, some of you that um, are into your football might remember back in 2006, the World Cup final, France playing Italy. um, And this guy, Zinedine Zidane. Zinedine Zidane was probably the best player in the world at the time. Uh, It was in his final game. It was like the biggest game you can play in. It's a World Cup final. And a defender insults his sister during the game. And because of this, Zinedine Zidane headbutts the defender in the chest. And then he's sent off and France lose the game to Italy. Anyone actually remember that? You're all looking fairly black. Oh yeah, you all do. You're just concentrating face. Good. Many saw the point where Zinedine was sent off as like the turning point of the game. It was the bit where, you know, he calls France to lose. And all the papers the next day were like, what was he thinking? The fact that he got sent off, even if he was insulted, why couldn't he just suck it up for the team? Take one for the team. And it's interesting, all the press in the East backed him. You see, Zinedine Zidane, culturally, well, he comes from an Algerian Muslim background. And so if your sister is insulted, you defend her whatever the cost, whatever the consequences. You defend your family's honour at all times. So this is Jesus' background. This is the world Jesus grew up in. But Jesus never responds to the accusations. He's silent before his accusers. He doesn't defend himself. This is the most honourable man, God himself. Never saying a word. And he takes all the shame upon himself. And just to top the whole thing off, the most shameful thing in his culture is that he dies naked. You know, religious art obscures with sort of a carefully placed loincloth But, you know, he was naked and stretched out on a cross, no way to cover his shame. And the Romans gamble away his clothes. Then they mock him. They mock his Jewishness. He probably would have been circumcised. And God dies naked in public. There is no more shameful experience anywhere. And you've got to ask yourself, why on earth would Jesus, God himself, go through that on the cross? And the reason is this, that he knew that if he did there, there would be an exchange. The exchange was this, his rejection would lead to our acceptance and his shame would become our honour. It's particularly important this, if you feel shame for something that wasn't your fault. Because the Christian message usually is, come to Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. And I believe that totally. But for some of you, it's not just about your sins, but it's other people's sins. It's the stuff that's been done to you. And what does the cross say to you? 
Well, the cross says you don't need forgiveness so much as you need your honour to be restored. And that's what Jesus does for any of you that feel shame today. 1 Peter 2 is an amazing bit of scripture because the guy writing it was Peter. And he was one of the disciples. And he was the disciple that gets laughed at a little bit because he just made mistake after mistake and it all gets recorded for like 2,000 years. People have been reading about his mistakes. But his ultimate mistake was just before Jesus is arrested. Jesus actually warns him and says, look, I think some tough times are coming and you're probably going to deny me when people ask whether you know me. And he's like, that's never going to happen. Thanks for the warning, but I'm all right. And then the moment comes at Jesus' arrest and he's badgered three times. Do you know this man? And each time he says, I, I, I know nothing of this man. And one gospel writer records the moment where for the third time he says, I do not know this man. And Jesus catches his eye. And my guess, he felt the shame suddenly come on him in that moment. And so this is a, a man who really does feel ashamed. He let the Messiah down. And he's writing to a church to explain how Jesus deals with his shame. And he says this, For in scripture it says, See I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And he's talking about Jesus there. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe... This stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, there's so much in there you could look at, but listen, Jesus is the stone that the house gets built on. And Peter tells us that this stone is rejected in order for the one who trusts in him to never be put to shame. Jesus, the stone, the precious stone is rejected so that the house can be honoured. And we're the house of God. Not just forgiveness, but Jesus restores your honour and he restores your dignity. Shameful people become honourable. I love that, a part of Nikki's story, where that deep sense of shame she felt in her life gets reversed as she comes to know Jesus. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And you know what happens at the end of the story? Verse 8, Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammers apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor and if I'm caught cheating, I'll pay about four times the damages. Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. Here is Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the son of man came to find and restore the loss. Jesus' acceptance and honour completely changes his life. You know, he's been living for money. He's been living for that all his life and suddenly he's met the thing that really truly satisfies him. He's accepted and he's honoured. And so that means he can give away the thing that was most precious to him. He can give it up for God. So Gears is now in a new family. He's in the place that he always wanted but could never buy. And Jesus rejoices with him. And maybe, just maybe, that could be your story today. So why don't you stand with me? Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Thank you for listening so well. And we're just going to sing a few songs in response to what we've heard. But you're happy just to close your eyes for a moment? No, seriously, this could be your story today. Come to Jesus, come out of hiding, experience a new start with him. Give him your shame and in return receive his honour. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. 
Thank you for taking my shame and exchanging it for your honour. Jesus, we want to say we believe in you and we want to become part of your family. We're so sorry for the ways that we've tried to deal with this shame. Lord, we just want to confess that all our attempts to just fix our lives on our own have been fruitless. And right now we're turning to you. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your forgiveness. And fill us with your honour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.